Good afternoon, everybody, <laughs> and welcome to the injection recap of episode seven. Um, y'all know you know dealing with technology, everybody. We get we get kicked out. Um, but my producer, Michael J. Yes, what's going on, everybody? Um, thought it was a important idea, and he talked me into actually getting back on and um, saying a few things about the topic that he and Jamel actually covered greatly. Um, Jamel, thank you so much for being on the show. You did a great job. I'm sorry I couldn't salute you and say goodbye. Um, but again, you know, with technology being the way it is, I got kicked off. I want you to know that um, that I think you did a great job and I want to see you back on the injection. Um, anytime you want to come on because you brought a great perspective to what it is that we talk about every day. Thank you, Jamel. Um, I think when we left off, when I got kicked off, we were talking about HBCUs versus PWIs. And I gave the, I had given the lead in, but I got kicked out in the middle of the segment and I didn't get to go all the way with it. And I just want to say this. I know I listened to the show already with Jamel and, and Michael J. And I went to an HBCU. Actually, I went to Howard. And as they, they talked a lot about my school, and I thank you, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Jamil, um, for actually bringing that out. Um, but bigger than just having to have gone to an HBCU, um, I want people to understand that I haven't just gone to an HBCU, but I actually have a lot of people who come into my forefront who have actually gone to HBCU. HBCUs as well, and those who have gone to PWIs, which is the most important piece of this. And what I have learned, including Michael J. being my friend, and a lot of the people that he does Woke and Broke with, congrats and shout out to Woke and Broke for being a successful podcast as well, um, have let me know, because I've been a, a panelist on their show, about going to a PWI. And Michael J, I just want you to tell me a little bit about. I know you already told me already on episode seven. I told the audience on episode seven, but I just want you to go a little bit into your experience with a PWI. Right. So, I mean, when I went to uh, the PWI, I graduated from Oklahoma State University. I literally, you know, would interact with people who were giving me compliments, like, oh. You're so articulate and all this other type of stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, what? Like, why is that such a big deal to be for me to be articulate? I mean, everyone else is. And then it, I didn't really even think about how that was basically a microaggression. Like, you don't expect me to be articulate. You don't expect a black person to be articulate. And at the point where you do, it's just an extraordinary thing, which is which is a stereotype and it's, and it's fucked up for lack of a better word. And also going into the fact I had another situation at this PWI, I was in like, you know, the little student union or whatever. It's not actually, it's a big student union. Let me take that back. <laughs> Sitting down, having lunch. And, you know, I guess my turn or whatever, because one of the coaches came up to me and asked me why I wasn't in practice. Mind you, y'all, I don't play anybody's sports. I don't, but it lends itself to me being this black man of size and how I'm only there to be playing sports. Apparently I can't be there pursuing an advanced degree. I have to be on somebody's sports team. Right. 
that's not the same assumption, you know, that you would get at an HBCU because the coaches actually have personal relationships with the players and they know who's on the team, whether right. that's football or basketball. They're not going to mistake me, even though I'm of size, that I'm a part of the team. Right. They have I mean, there's personal other, relationships. There's other things too, like the one. Yeah, yeah. Said, you know, he had he gone. He went to a a, a PWI. Um, and he was saying his PWI, he never, first of all, which I thought was very poignant, he never really mentioned his PWI. All he would really give as far as background information about his PWI is that it was down the street from Grambling. All of us know that's the LSU, you know, right? But we, we you know, we'll leave that alone. Anyway, with that being the case, <laughs> um, one of the things he said, what he said was, I read the article and it's one sided in my opinion. You can't say going to an HBCU is better than going to a PWI if you haven't been and vice versa, which is the reason why we have Michael J here because he's actually been to both. He's going to a PWI and he's going to a HBCU. I went to a P- going with the way I went to a PWI. I loved every many of it. Um, there are those who, of us who don't go to HBCUs but also get the black experience, quote unquote. I would never down an HBCU, however. I also would have never expected an article such as this. I would never say going to a PWI is better than an HBCU and would never try to disqualify a counter to the argument. So basically what he's saying is that he felt, and he also backed this up later on in more rhetoric, is saying that he felt that we were discounting or that this article was discounting his education. Um, and again, the article is titled "Sorry, Not So Sorry." Going to an HBCU is better than getting going to a PWI all day, every day. And right, let me let you know, Dwayne. Let me know, let you know, anybody else out there, we're not discounting what you got at your PWI because a lot of individuals I know that went to PWIs are successful. However, as I was stating before, a lot of also. A lot of people also that went to PWI say the same thing. And Jamel said that on the recording just before. Shout out to Jamel again. That he wished he had went to an HBCU. It's, Michael, how many people do you know, even now in the work that you do, how many people do you know that are saying that, you know, I wish I had gone to an HBCU? Quite a few people um, that are black that have gone through PWIs, they always have that feeling of, you know, wow. I wish I could have attended an, a historically black college and university. I wonder what my experience would have been because they recognize the difference. You, you feel me? They're not just saying that because it's like, oh, you know, you know, what would it be? Not just going past imagining what it would, what it would be, but like to also live that experience to go to and graduate from a black historically black college and university. I mean, it's just a very different type of black experience. Right. So some people, it's not that you don't have a black experience because your black experience is your black experience at your PWI, but never get that confused with a black experience from a historically black college university. Right. It's just not the same thing. Right. It's just not. So moving on, um, y'all, as we do the recap, because we're just touching on everything they talked on, some stuff that, you know, perhaps we could have included that didn't get included that I had in my notes. Um, Joy Behar, and they did an excellent job of um, Jamel and and Michael did an excellent job of touching on Joy and, and and what she was trying to say. The thing that I had queued up that clearly wasn't able to be shown because I was knocked off of Anchor. Shout out to Anchor. We love you. Thank you. 
for being <laughs> it's free and we got a small budget right now y'all so we can get our money up but um <laughs> with that being the case um there was something i wanted you all to hear and, and i, I want to play that for you just right now Okay, everybody, excuse my um, yes, joy in the background. <laughs> I was actually recording this as I was sitting watching the view um, on my um, my day off from work, and I was literally it just came on and, and and it just struck me, and I had to get the recording. So look, excuse that. But anyway, I, but I am saying yes for a reason. The reason why I'm saying yes is because she gets it. And I think Jamil and Michael were able to hit on it very, very well in the other show that white privilege is has nothing to do with you being somewhat special. And I think that's where a lot of people get it misunderstood. It's not... We are not discounting what you have done in your life as a white person. What we are saying... And Jamil hit it on it very, very, very well when I was listening back to the recording. As he said, you know, it's not about how bad you're doing or how, you know, what you have going on in your life. It's the fact that black people can are not going to ever be able to do as well as you no matter how good you're doing. And that's really, really, really what it's about. Um, and I think that's what Joy was trying to say. Um she was basically telling all the white people, like, no matter what you're doing in life and how much you've attained, let me tell you all this. I think a lot of times when we think about white privilege, uh, some of our some of our, uh, our white people think that what we're saying is that what they've done in life is not uh, is not good enough, or that they've not worked hard, or they haven't been the strong, you know, a strong employee or whatever the case might be. And that's not the case. Actually, me and Mark Jones had that conversation on this post right here with Joy Behar. He was saying, you know, what Joy is saying is that as you're white, you're born with a, a silver spoon up your ass. And that's not what we're saying, Mark Jones. That's not what's happening here. What's happening is no matter where you are in life, and I even challenged him and said, you know, you know, and he didn't really respond directly because he really can't because he knows I'm telling the truth. Look at you and look at what you've done in life. Look at where you've gotten. And I guarantee you the white, the black man with, that has done the same thing, done the same work, worked as hard as you have and not discounting your work, Mark Jones. But the reality is that person is still not doing as well as you're doing. And that's the privilege of being white. And if you don't get that, 
I don't know what to say, but that's basically me, what she was saying. That's what Jamel was saying, and now Michael is going to speak. Go ahead. Yes. As far as them not, you know, getting it, I hope the example that I provide can help make it plain for not just commenters on Antoine's post, but listeners at large. So an example that I can give, and I'll speak in general because I don't have, um, you know, the names of all of these people, but these are cases that happen. When you have instances of, of white people who suffer, you know, the same fate as black people, for example, interactions with police. So if, you know, if a white person is wrongfully killed and injured by the police, let's talk about how much their compensation is going to be compared to that black person. So you're talking about, you know, $20 million versus like $3 million for the black individual. And there are a number of cases that support that. So when we're talking about white privilege, we're really talking about the outcomes associated with your lived experiences. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that you all may not have an interaction that's negative or that you may not experience something that's going to have you thinking like that's fucked up. But if it's something to the extreme as being wrongfully murdered, the, the outcomes with the compensation is going to be different. And so that's a clear example of demonstration of your white privilege. I'm not going to get the same compensation if I should be killed by the police and it was not my fault. At best, I might get a million. And at, you know, at best, you're probably going to get like 40. <laughs> and you know so, what? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a huge article. ass gap. That's the article that we just posted. <laughs> About how the young lady in the, you know, from Minneapolis, I mean, from Minnesota, she got $20 million. She was wrongfully killed by the police. Philando Castillo got $3 million and he was wrongfully killed by the police. How come she's worth $17 million more? What makes okay. her, you know, what makes her more? And, and Please tell that, us. And, and the other article that you and Jamel were able to touch on about the couple in Oakland. That touches me mm. deeply, and that's one of the reasons why when you first talked to me about doing this recap and coming up with this new idea, Michael, that's when I was like, you know what? I do want to do it because this, this is what I really wanted to talk about because I am so upset about this, and, you know, I didn't get a lot of shares. I didn't get a lot of likes. I didn't get a lot of comments on this, but let me let you all know. These people moved. Uh, there was a gentleman who said, you know, I have a home that I am renting, you know, that I have available. I have a pool in my backyard. And I want to get, allow these black people, I want to allow some people, so under, not even black people, let's rewind. He said, I want to allow some people who are disadvantaged to be able to take advantage of this property that I have in my pool. It's a pool mm -hmm. house. A lot of people know in rich neighborhoods, it's a $4 million neighborhood. You rent out your pool house. Why not? Because you're not using it. Okay. He, rented, he basically gave them a low-level lease. So these homeless black people could be able to move into his pool house. They moved into his pool house in the neighborhood was totally against him having this. They were walking to the bus. They were walking outside. These people were calling and saying, who are these people in the neighborhood? Where are these people coming from? We think that, like, why? Because you see black faces in the neighborhood. Do you want to say that to them? You know what hmm. I'm saying, Michael J? Like, why do you want to do that? Exactly. Exactly. Why? Why even go there, or why promote stereotypes? Why do that? You're assuming the worst. Why can't we? They can't possibly afford to live here. Right. Oh, they why must be here we? trying to steal. Right. Why can't we be living in this neighborhood? This is America. Why can't we live in a four million dollar neighborhood? Why can't we rent out someone's pool? Why? You know, so many different whys, and it's so wrong. For them to not be mm -hmm. able to have a 
regular experience where they actually lease out a house. And then let me tell you what was actually more, more troubling to me. That when when the neighbors called the police, the police had to have a story for the neighbors. Oh, this is uh, a gentleman, the owner of the house wants to rent out his pool house to disadvantaged people so that they can have a chance to actually live comfortably. And this is more like a community service and more like a charity thing. Why is that? Like, what the fuck is that? Like, I don't, you know, I, that, I, my, I'm, I'm going to let you talk so I can get myself together. You know why they're having issues with it? I mean, I just don't think, I don't, it's, you know, I, I want to say so barely, you know, it's, it's a white people thing, but on, on some level, it's, it's, it's very much so a, a racial thing, um, considering, you know, providing those type, type of opportunities for underrepresented people and why a lot of people, and a lot, especially a lot of white people, think underrepresented people automatically translates to uh, people from criminal backgrounds or people who intend to do wrong and just the stereotypes that are rooted in a racist white narrative that they've had about people of color, especially black people within America. And so it's like, even if somebody's trying to do something that is going to support, which when you think about the idea of support, it's not a bad thing to support underrepresented communities who don't even have, you know, the that uh, age old uh, phrase, Oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, some of us don't even have <laughs> boots. Let right. alone the straps to be pulling right. them up by. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, so this is an right. opportunity to have that. And it's like, on, in some ways, it's like, do you not want to see somebody do better for themselves or to prosper and to elevate and advance? Or, or what? What is the I, case? I think like, it's, what's I think really it's, going it's on? The, it's, it's, it's the threat to security that they feel that is part of not having a black face in the environment, or at least if they're going to have a black face. And this is another thing, and I think this is going back to what Joe Behar was saying. Like, you can accept a black person who you feel is doing, for lack of a better way to put it, better than you are. But anytime a black person who is doing less than better than you are, that person is not up to your standard. And if that's Hmm. the case, then, you know, and Brendan Sullivan, you've talked about this a lot of cases, a lot of times. This comes out to being very much economic. I personally don't see it quite like that. How I see it kind of like black folks are not necessarily seen as equal, period. And the point is, if you're doing better than me, then I want to see what you're doing so I can do better than you. I can learn from you to do better than you. I kind of like see it that way. Um, and that's just the way it is. Um, if you're not adding anything into my life, why should I have you in my environment? And that's kind of like where I find that these homeless people are falling into, or ex-homeless people, because the reality is they now have a home. So are they homeless anymore? Right. And that's another piece to think about. Um, going forward, the last thing I want to talk about on this recap, Michael J., which was just a great idea, because you are allowing me to get... <laughs> Definitely all my feelings out there. Um, Mr. B, or, or, or President of the BB, um, Booty Gate, and kissing his husband. Um, a lot of people had a lot of problems with that. Again, Mark Jones, talking about you. I'm not trying to stick on you, but you talked about it being gross that he was kissing his husband. 
if we're going to become a global society and we're going to truly be accepting, and I told you this directly, and I tell the, I tell everyone on my page this directly, if we're going to be accepting of all people, we have to be accepting that people will be able to all do the same things. And if a straight couple can kiss in the middle of a forum, then a gay couple should be able to kiss in the middle of a forum. And there shouldn't be any problem with it. Michael J. Right. That, that's just what it should be. If we're going to say we're accepting, then we need to be accepting across the board. We can't say, oh, oh, I accept gay people or I accept short people or I accept, you know, fat people, whatever the case may be, and then turn around and just throw a dagger right in that acceptance that you just gave that will, you know, pseudo acceptance. Like, you can't do that. That's just not how this works. So, so what are people supposed to do? Give you a warning? <laughs> Give you some type of like, hey... You know the red light is getting ready to go off because I'm about to kiss my man. You know, like what? <laughs> well, you that know what? Mike, crazy. The reality is, this is about people looking at two men kissing and not looking at the infection and love that are happening between those two men. And I really believe a lot of society can only see the sex involved, the bestiality right. of the sex. The, and I said it, this on my post: the 1970s leather of it. You know, mm. and Corey Blunt, uh, you know, you know, I, I respect you to death, but the bottom line is I think that's what you see. And, you know, that's the only way, that's, that's the problem for you because you have a disdain for two men, you know, laying in a bed and being snuggled together and, and, and for lack of a better way to put it, penetrating each other. You know, so what I'm saying, that's what society is. And that's what I think the problem is when they see two men kissing. It, it brings about so many other feelings that really have nothing to do with the affection of loving your person that you're with. You know, right. I mean, straight people are together for years and never have sex. Gay people <laughs> are together for years and never have sex, too. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't always have to be a sexual thing. But, you know, before we, before we cut this off, Michael J., why do you think that is? Because, you know, why do you think that is that, that it always has to come down to sex with gay people? And, and and the way straight people perceive them. Because straight people are just, you know, very sexual themselves. Let For example, um, you know, a lot of heterosexual men, you know, when you're thinking about the idea of a threesome, their idea of a threesome is them and two women. Never, you know, them, another man and a woman. And so mm-hmm. not even thinking about, like, what the woman's desires may be. It's all about... You know, men. Well, a woman's desire, a poet. She has see. two men. A man automatically. Right. He de-escalates her from being right. a prized possession, and she becomes a hoe. Like right. at the point where she wants to have another man and him. Why can't she have another man and him? Like it, mm-hmm. they're tying it to like a, a, a sexual thing. I mean, why can't she? Why does she? I mean, why can't and also she? I'm right also with saying like, like again, there's nothing wrong with being a hoe. So I'm not, you know, shout out one in the front. I mean, like yes, okay. Do. Like yeah, right, right, and so like a lot of guys are looking, and then you know some guys will say, "Oh, that's not a threesome, that's a train that I'm running on my significant other." Like every, they all have this very deficit type of, and and I say deficit not to say that it's not people out here who want and should be able to have trains ran on them, but when you're looking at at it from a male's a patriarchal standpoint, they're turning all of those experiences into negatives because they are very sexual in nature themselves, and so like tying it back to this whole idea like why are they taking it from 
simple affection to transforming it into like this very sexual type of thing because that's what they're that's what that's where they are at in their minds when it comes to a lot of things Mm. when it comes to a lot of things because sometimes they can't even take public affection between men and women as being nothing more than just that they have to make it something else right and and that's simply because everybody is kind of like oh you know what them people our minds are over sexualized pornography mm-hmm. and all that types of things and just the imagery that comes across in a lot of different messaging that we get i really think that we're just as a society Sex is at the forefront. I, I, talking about that, there was a post that was made this week with a like um, with a South American young lady who was giving the news, and it was clear she had an augmented posterior, and she almost got enough points to actually be a hot topic on our overall goal of topics. She was one like point five away from actually being on the show. Simply because she had a, such a great derriere. Because guess what? When people look at the news, were they looking at the weather? Right. Were they looking at the weather, Michael J? No, they was looking at that ass. They were looking they at were that looking ass. At. And not only that, that <laughs> ass, she had a dress on with all the little arrows and stuff pointing down to that ass. Like, you know. All right. <laughs> like, she was definitely playing it up. And I even made a post and it was a joke. But now as we have this conversation, I'm realizing that maybe it wasn't necessarily a joke. And I was like, you know, is this over-sexualization? Um, my cousin, Catrice Hill, who definitely I know um, has a, a strong penchant for the South American woman, definitely was like, ah, oh, who cares? You know, I like this, you know. Like, the reality is it sells. And mm-hmm. we as a society are buying. And, you know, even individuals who might not even necessarily, I mean, whether you're straight or gay or gay or straight or whatever, the case might, the bottom line is we all play into the idea of sexuality. And I think the bigger piece that we have to understand is what is sex and what is supposed to be sexual? Because I do hold place for that because I do. And I mean, you have had that conversation before, Michael J. I don't really think that we need to erase all, all sexuality out of the equation. Um, but we need to erase, we need to be able to separate sexuality from affection. Lastly, before we go, because we're about to go out, um, it was the UVA players and going to the White House. And I know me and you might not necessarily agree with this, Michael J. I'm gonna let you speak first and then I'll speak. Go ahead. Um, I think that, you know, I, I get them, you know, declining like preemptively declining not going because they didn't want to attend because of the current leadership uh, that's in the white house and how they may feel about some of the stances policies and legislation that the current president has been putting out there and so for those reasons like yeah it's clear and it makes sense that they would decline the offer i I also want to say that i you know and i touched on this and earlier i get why it would be important to separate what's going on right now with the significance around, you know, what the White House is and what it means, especially for um, Black people and our, you know, history within this country, as far as the architecture and the, the building of that significant monument. Right. And so I, I get that, but, you know, with so much that's going on 
like with the the political scene right now and a lot of Trump's policies and or lack thereof, like uh, I, I can also understand why a school wouldn't want to take the time to come and meet him and speak with him directly. I do get that. Mm-hmm. Now, if they wanted to just come and enjoy, you know, the White House, the architecture, paintings, and all the other type of stuff, that'd be cool. But I, I get it. I, I honestly do get it. Well, I disagree. I mm-hmm. strongly disagree. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, I strongly disagree because throughout time, schools that have attained, or even sports teams, wherever they are, that have, at least in modern times, that have attained a certain level of at, uh, uh, of attainment have been able to go to the White House and they have enjoyed the White House and never has an de- uh, invitation to go to the White House been declined. Even if sports teams had people that were doing other things or whatever the case might be, you know, there were some people like, you know, Douglas Jones that was saying that, by the way, he's the brother of Mark Jones, y'all, so they on the same wavelength. But anyway, no, love you, Doug Jones. Anyway, um, you know, Four kids are gone working on their pro careers. Four more are overseas playing in tournaments. Um, Bennett explains it perfectly. No big deal. Like, they don't see it as a big deal. Okay, maybe you don't. Um, there were some other black people that said Trump is, is, is not respectful of black people. You don't need to go if you're... My thing is, that team has a lot of black people on it. I don't really, really care about it. You know, I don't really, really care about what's going on in the background. But And I also care about even the white members of the team as well. There are a lot of people on that team who aren't. There are four that are going to working on programs and four doing something else. How about the other ones? Like the coaches. Like when you get an invitation to go to the White House, I personally think, and maybe I'm old school and maybe I'm very conservative on that. Brendan Sullivan, I know you don't believe that word ever exists in the same name with Antoine Johnson, but hey, I'm right here. Maybe I'm very conservative with that, but I think when you get an invitation to the White House, you drop it all and you go. And if the president is Trump, well, you know me, I would have a debate with him right there on the floor. Like, I don't really feel like... (laughs) Right, you know, like, I'm going to go, because this is not just your house. Motherfucker, you only here for four years. You know? (laughs) Yes, Douglas Jones, only four years. He's only here for four years. So, forget all that. Like, I'm here because my ancestors a hundred and some years ago were building this house. So you can sit in it right now and I'm here to represent. And that's how I feel. Right. We're out of time. Thank you so much for um, having this recap with me and, and, and and spraying the whole thing. Absolutely. Um, And um, Jamel, I want you to know you did a great job. I'm so upset that we couldn't finish our, our segments together and, and really get cajoled and really get together on all of this. But I hope that we're able to patch together a, a good show that's going to have the episode seven and the episode seven recap, and we're going to be able to make it happen. Um, Again, thank you, Michael. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. I'll talk to you later. It's been episode seven recap of the injection always contact us at the injection podcast at gmail.com. See you all later.